This is Viewpoints, a discussion of top news stories and the issues that affect you. From Canada's biggest talk show hosts, In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. My name is John Moore. Nice to be here to play Ringmaster. We've got a great panel for you. Michael Corrin is here, writer and broadcaster. Peter Sherman, former MPP, now author of a book about millennials. And uh, kind of doing the party circuit right now, Peter, aren't you? You've got like your own TED Talk going. I'm having fun, and you know what? I'd like to do a TED Talk, and I'm going to. Okay, and uh, Bill Hayes is here as well broadcaster and all-around good guy. Nice to see you, sir. Nice to be here. Let's start. I, I don't know. Arguably, this was the biggest story of the week, although, frankly, not a lot happened. It was mostly pomp and circumstance, and then a huge, everybody's using the word bromance, Justin Trudeau and Barack Obama on their first date falling madly in love. We intend to have fun tonight, but not too much. <laughs> if things get out of hand, remember that the Prime Minister used to work as a bouncer. R, 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 R. And of course, everybody laughs because he's the president of the United States. Michael, I'll start with you because um, there's sort of an old world aspect of these meetings mm -hmm. that in the Internet age seems to be going out of style. And, and I think that's probably what rankled a lot of people and, and that and they hate Justin anyway. Yeah, the professional Justin haters I find so boring and boorish these days. And I, I made this comment a while back when I, I was away in November in Britain. I came back and the same columns were being written by the same people about how bad Justin Trudeau was as prime minister. He's done nothing wrong yet. I mean, he hasn't done anything particularly impressive, but he's, he's fine. Most of the work has always been done outside of the public spotlight in committee meetings and so on. But the, 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 the public presence, the public profile is important. And... There's obviously a certain simpatico between these two, which there wasn't between Harper uh, and Obama. Now, we've seen this with other presidents over the years. Quite clearly, I mean, uh, <laughs> Lyndon Johnson screaming at the Canadian prime minister and effectively they threatening him, him up, you know, picked him up. I mean, this is, so this is an improvement. And I do believe that their, their assistants, their juniors, other ministers, they're all meeting their counterparts. This is a good thing. I don't understand why people get so... Look, yes, of course, it's over the top. Um, it's a bit, I mean, Mike Myers, I, mean, I think it's the first gig he's had in 20 years, by the way, but, <laughs> no, so I shouldn't say that. But, yes, it, it, it's a bit irritating. You look at the menu, you think people are going hungry and yet they're eating all this food. But all that aside, it's good for Canada. I mean, we, we take what we can get to a certain extent. I mean, why put it down? It's a good thing. Yeah, uh, Bill, he's sort of our brand, like him or hate him, Justin Trudeau, and that brand was all over American media and they were lapping it up. He's a rock star. I, I mean, let's get used to that. That's exactly what he is. It's how he's seen around the world. Um, and I know there are some people, those, those people Michael were referring to, the anti-Justins, uh, uh, they, they are against the, the style over substance, or they are for the style over substance, I guess against the style over yeah. substance and for the substance. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, as you say, he's a brand, he's a positive for us. There's no question about that. Um, and... and yeah, it's nice to get a, a little bit of recognition sometimes mm. on the word, world stage, which we don't get a lot, and we certainly didn't get for Harper. I, I think the one thing that uh, that really did it was the uh, the G20 summit, <laughs> and that was not the kind of thing we wanted well, on the, the front pages around the world. The coverage we got from Harper was the, 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 the only major leader who was a, a denier of climate change. Uh, well, you're uh, forgetting the president of Czechoslovakia. <laughs> well, the Czech Republic. <laughs> right. Uh, and also someone who, and this has to be said, 
from Canada being perceived as the honest broker in foreign policy, was seen as the most hawkish uh, leader of the Western world when it came to foreign affairs. And that, I don't think, was a good thing for this country. And we have Justin Trudeau, who has very similar views in many ways, but won't be as bellicose and aggressive. Okay. Let me Peter. use a golf metaphor. All Drive right. for show and putt for dough. Um, the, the, the drive here was going to Washington, having a state dinner, first time in about 20 years that we have a state dinner uh, in honor of a visiting Canadian prime minister. I don't care what you think of Justin Trudeau. He is emblematic of Canada, and he walked into the White House, and he is a rock star in the United States today. And I, and I think that as little as some people think of that, I think it's a big deal on the world stage. So when you get to the uh, the money part, uh, you, continuing the golf metaphor, you've got some guys in back rooms who have to figure out what to do about softwood lumber. And yes, there may be uh, direction to those back rooms from the top, but uh, when you're putting your, your house on display and opening the door, the first guy who walks out should be the chief executive. In our case, that's the prime minister. In their case, it's the president. They got together. It's going to last for all of 10 months, which is about as long as Barack Obama is around. And we'll see what happens after that. Let's talk about a liberal who is not proving to have the Teflon touch, or I don't know, maybe she is, but Kathleen Wynne uh, defending this week, attending a fundraiser where you have to pay 6000 bucks, and then you're promised you'll have access to the premier and access to a cabinet minister. It's unseemly, but it's not out of the norm, to be perfectly honest. Don't, Peter, all governments do this? Not just governments. I can tell you um, with certitude that I was behind more than one, more than two, more than half a dozen fundraisers that on a per-head basis raised a hell of a lot more than $6,000. I'm not defending it. I'm not defending Kathleen Wynne. I'm saying that in Ontario, not any other province and not federally, in Ontario, you can do that for significant amounts of money, and, uh, and all parties not only do, they have to. Although, Michael Corrin, if an average citizen had an issue they wanted to uh, pick up with the premier and they touched her arm as she walked down the street, they'd be carted off by her security team. <laughs> well, they may be. I mean, she's fairly accessible. But uh, as Peter said, it's not desirable, but it's inevitable. Look, there are people in the Senate who are there because they're wealthy. And, uh, no, of course, I'm not going to give any names, but there are people there. They may have ability, Do they, they may not. they cold camembert? <laughs> uh, but, uh, well, <laughs> and others. And that they've effectively bought their way to... And I've always found that... I mean, I have to say, coming from a country, the UK, where the class system is still alive, you actually do have to show some sort of achievement to get in the House of Lords, the upper chamber. Uh, in Canada, if you have enough money and throw enough parties, it seems you get there. Orders of Canada as well, given to people on a, on a very tenuous basis. So, yeah, it happens. You're not going to do anything about it. I don't, though, believe that these people are actually going to change anything. I, I think, I mean, Kathleen Wynne is influenced by various people, but not because of their money, by, by other things. Bill, does it worry you? No, not at all. It, 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 it's one of those things that, uh, you know, uh, from a systemic point of view, it is a concern. Because it doesn't look good. Um, but I do think that uh, if she has a price, and I'm not for a moment suggesting she does, but I think it's a lot more than $6,000. And, and and quite frankly, uh, you know, to what Peter was saying, that's the way our system works. We have to have money for elections. There has to be money in the coffers, and there has to be some way to raise it. The point I was I was making, actually, Bill, to, to just tack on to what you said, is the maximum in a year... Uh, at a corporate level is $15,000 of contribution, and you can double that in an election year. I don't care who you are. You are not buying a cabinet minister or a premier for fifteen dollars or $30,000. You're just not. You can have me for a pub lunch. Well, I, I know we can have you for a pub lunch, but <laughs> yeah. you're not going to take away cap and trade. It's a little. 
Uh, Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto built Kerner Hall, for example, which is gorgeous. And they renovated the place, and there's all sorts of important things that happen at the Royal Conservatory. But uh, apparently they kind of bit off more than they can chew, and they need some forgiveness on loans from the provincial government. Uh, Bill, it's a sweet cause, but, you know, we keep on... It seems that culturally in Toronto we keep on jumping on these big projects running out of money and then asking for help and then saying but look how important we are to the scene yeah there's a it's an interesting thing with this story because the, the way I read it was yeah it's a it's a large piece of, of whatever money they, they can put together I think it was was a 10 percent I think it 10 percent that they're paying the, towards, to towards their, the service their alone yeah. that's a lot of money but it's not I, I don't think crippling I, I mean you know to me yeah it would be nice they're, they they could probably get a bit of a break, but 10% is within the realm of, I think, uh, business. I, you know, I don't have a problem with it. Why not try crowdsourcing? I don't know. Michael? Uh, look, we will have personal biases. I, I think this is a wonderful project, and it will do enormous good to, to the city. And we we claim to be a world-class city in Toronto. That that's, that's not quite accurate. We have a long way to go, and we do need to be more inviting, and, and I, th I think just more culturally significant, and, and this is very important. And in context, loans have been forgiven for far less uh, worthy reasons than this. So, yeah, in, in such a case, you can they've tried very, very hard. And we could say, well, you know, raise more money, do this, do that. They've tried everything they can. They're just a bit short, and I think in, in such a case, they're deserving and we should forgive. Okay, Peter, if you were in the House, what would you say? We cannot bail out everything that comes along, but no. we do have a responsibility, as Michael has pointed out, towards maintaining uh, a cultural interest and promoting it on, on behalf of the government. And they have, by putting the loan up in the first place. People say, generally agreed, that Kerner Hall has wonderful acoustics. People say, generally agreed, that they put on great programs. If that's the case, why... Why don't they also, at the Royal Conservatory, understand how business works and manage their affairs better? If what this is saying is that $4.5 million in interest per year on this loan is too much, probably, if I were in the House, what I'd say is, can you afford $2 million? Let's bang that loan out to 40 years or some number that works for you, and let's get on with life so that you don't have to die and we don't have to squeeze you. Does it change your minds at all that somebody who works in the industry of um, set, creating shows effectively said, I never use Kerner Hall because the union is impossible to deal with? It do, it, well, it does bother me. It bothers me. to. I, that's the first time that you're saying it right now <laughs> that I have heard that. And if that's the case, then there, that is emblematic of something, some undercurrent that must exist uh, in terms of people who might otherwise use Kerner Hall. So maybe it's going wanting some nights. That being the case, let's take a deeper look into it. When we come back, apparently smoking cannabis, cigarettes, vaping, and e-cigarettes are now all the same thing. You're listening to Viewpoints on In-Depth Radio. News Talk 1010. And the voices you're hearing this week as we debate the big stories of the week, Michael Corrin, Peter Sherman, and Bill Hayes. My name is John Moore. Let me play you guys a caller to Moore in the Morning last Monday. This was the morning after. If you were watching TV on Sunday night, you would know, or listening to radio, there was an Amber Alert. Radio programming was actually interrupted by this blasting horn. You would have thought it was an alien invasion. It was uh, because a kid had been seen being pulled into a van, so police sounded the Amber Alert. As it turned out, the parents were picking up their own kid who had run away. But here's what one guy had to say about why he just doesn't care for Amber Alerts at all. I have a, uh, an issue with it. Like, uh, when I uh, 
watch that Amber Alert. They don't even know the actual age of the child. It said 8 to 13. I'm living in Stony Creek. This is happening in Aurelia. What are they expecting to do? Like, go outside and start to look? It's just, it's like, who cares? I, honestly, I don't, I don't care about other people's kids. I don't, I don't, like, what do they want me to do? Wow, Bill. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, compassion is clearly uh, not, not big in Stony Creek. Um, but to his point, this was irritating as hell. I, there's no question that that it woke up the cat, and I don't have a cat, so you know it, it was unbelievable how loud it was. It was it's disruptive. Um, I do understand though that if there is a serious problem, it does work. There, there's no question. If this was a test of the system, I'm all in. Uh, I do think, though, that they should probably go on a little more evidence than this one. Most of the times when you hear of this, it's uh, an estranged parent taking a kid. You know the situation. Um, but in, in this particular instance, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Oh, you sensitive flower. <laughs> and all of the rest of you out there who are such sensitive flowers. Let me tell you something. Going back about six weeks, I was in Florida. There was an Amber Alert. The Amber Alert didn't only come across the television that I happened to be watching. It seized my cell phone and made it ring and put an, uh, a screen message on. They, they can put the message on every cell phone. They can put it on all radio, and they can put it on all television. They have the ability to push one button and take it over. Now, do you want to argue about a great big red banner? Do you want to argue about that stupid computer voice? We can talk about that. But the idea of controlling telecommunications in a legitimate emergency, which we can also argue about that, whether this one was one or not, is a great idea. And I think all of this fuss about a 30-second message, which, yeah, I was watching and I saw it, and I thought, well, it's cool they can do that here. Uh, now, finally, that's it. Why are we Why are we getting... Although, Michael Corrin, somebody, a listener, wrote to me an email and said they had left the television on the CBC because they were going to watch me on the National, and because of the Amber Alert, they came in from the barn, and the TV was blank, and I was already done. Good God. I know. What um, a sacrifice. I wouldn't <laughs> use America as, as an example for many things. America is an over-policed and, uh, I'm afraid, rather neurotic society. It's one of the reasons they're so infatuated with someone like Donald Trump. The so, whole society. But, uh, yeah. Oh, and okay. It is a, neuro a neurosis-based society, I'm afraid, and it's massively over-policed. America is over-policed. Spend time in other countries, you'll realise just how common the police are. Now, uh, the alerting question. that People reacted uh, in, in the wrong way in, 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 from, from both for and against. Look, you had people calling 911 complaining about it. Um, uh, I'm calling the police because there's something on my television. That's not the way you react. The problem here was, whilst the alerts are very useful, if overused, they become redundant and no, and no one takes them seriously. Now, in this case, no one had thought about it. First of all, it should have been only regional. Um, second, they hadn't done the research and it was a bogus case. So now you know what will happen. First of all, the police will be reluctant to use it again. If they do, the general reaction from people, if it's within a year or so, will be, oh, one of those, we can just ignore it. Um, it's a very useful tool and device to be used sparingly, and this was not the right use of it. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, we all saw it because it was on every single station, and it said press the exit button, which I did, and it went off for a few seconds, and it came back on. It wasn't the end of the world. I mean, it's just one of those things. I suppose this is an argument for using DVDs. Right. Were you busy finding out if Lady Edith would find happiness in Downton Abbey? I'd already seen it. All right. <laughs> uh, Cardinal Collins this week joined us on Moore in the Morning to talk about yeah. why he sent a letter to all of the 200 parishes or, or churches in the city of Toronto, Catholic churches, yeah. about assisted death. 
And the funny thing is, is the crime, you know, I'm the guy who has fought for uh, the right to assisted dying in my columns. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, last week I ended up writing one that says we've possibly gone too far in Canada. Uh, but Michael, there was your reaction. Well, let's listen in on Cardinal Collins. The doctor has no obligation to extend life uh, necessarily beyond when a person is dying. But they're helping with, with painkillers, with, uh, with loving care, with all those things. Yes, help, but not kill. There's a profound difference. And that's why I find the, I find the title, the, the, the soft and fuzzy and illusory title, Medical Aid in Dying, to be uh, uh, just so, uh, I won't say offensive, it's kind of bureaucratic gobbledygook. What they're talking about is killing. Michael Corrin. Uh, I haven't spoken to Cardinal Collins in some time, <laughs> for obvious reasons, but we used to meet on a monthly basis. He's a nice man. Uh, that was facile. That was facile. It was also misleading. Look, the alternative to dying with dignity is not living. It's dying without dignity. This is not about putting people out of their misery because they're having a bad day. In the Netherlands, for example, a third of the people who, who apply uh, for this are told you don't qualify. No. A third are granted. A third are dead before the decision comes because they're so close to death anyway. This would be people, and I have some problems with this bill, by the way, Yeah. but Here's the issue with the Roman Catholic Church. They refuse to discuss the issue. There can be no compromise, no reform, no movement at all. So the government comes forward without them, with a bill, and then they say, no, we can't have this. I spoke to a number of Catholics that, after that letter was read out, and I can tell you, and you know this as well as I do, John, the vast majority of Roman Catholics in this country do not live as Catholics. A third don't believe in God. Even those who attend church contracept, um, have no problem with premarital sex, with equal marriage. So they don't really care that much what the Cardinal says. And when the only time, or once in a blue moon, a letter is read out in church, it's not about carpet bombing a country. It's not about poverty. It's always about the same issues. It'll be about marriage, abortion. it'll be about euthanasia or abortion. And this is why the Catholic Church is, is hemorrhaging membership. The Cardinal is entirely entitled to his opinion, mm. as are we all. And this is a national debate, and a debate that, as many have, have said, is long overdue, and I'm glad that we're having it. I don't expect to hear a different type of opinion, facile or not, Michael, from the Cardinal. Uh, I don't expect to hear a different opinion on the issue of uh, Catholic doctors or Catholic hospitals administering abortions. Uh, however... He's part of the body politic. He doesn't represent the body politic. And the body politic is represented by 300 and change MPs in Ottawa who are going to have to make a decision. And, and in his column, John is correct, this has to be deftly handled. And, and not everybody is going to be satisfied. But at the end of the day, if you have been part of an experience where you've watched somebody, and I'll use one particular disease, ALS die, and it eats you, not, not sometimes so slowly. Take a look at Monsieur Belanger, the guy who was going to be Speaker of the House and got his day over the course of the past week. It's hideous what, what this thing has done to him. And there's a point at which people who have that will say, please, please, just push that syringe a little bit further and let me go because I just can't stand being eaten away like this. I don't want to get more graphic than that, but you see my point. We have to take a break on viewpoints, but when we come back, a woman took a video of a man she thought was doing a good deed. Within 24 hours, he was fired. Viewpoints continues on In-Depth Radio. 
News Talk 1010. Welcome back to Viewpoints. My name is John Moore. A lot of interesting stories this week that actually kind of broke out on our show. We found uh, you know, little stories in little media sometimes, and then we did a few interviews. The newsroom got to work on it. Then all of a sudden, everybody was talking. Here's one of them. A woman who filmed or videotaped a garbage man throwing snow into a garbage truck. Now, she thought he was doing her a favor and cleaning up the snow piled in front of her house. Turns out he may have been trying to wait down the truck because a trucker gets a bonus depending on the weight of his truck. Well, the guy got fired. And Bill Hayes, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, I, felt, I, I feel kind of bad. I think, why is firing punishment for everything these days? Uh, it, it, you know, one of, one of the things that's going to happen is if this goes to the extent that it might end up getting to, no one will ever do a good deed for anybody ever again. And one of the problems I think we have with this, John, is that whatever you do now, you are susceptible to being filmed doing it. You could have an absolutely pure heart as you do it. And if it's interpreted in a different manner, I, I think to your point, firing is way past what, what was necessary here. Uh, to me, it's a, it's a ridiculous reaction to, I, I think, a, a, a really nice effort by this guy what? to do something for somebody. Well, I mean, he was, I think no. it's pretty clear he was waiting down his truck. He wasn't really But still, out. no, here's the thing. Wait, no, there's no argument about that. No, I, 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 listen, the thing with this is if people do something nice. But he didn't. And, well, how do you know he didn't? Because he was fudged. I can tell you that if he could in any way show that he was actually doing a good deed, he could sue them until they bleed. No, I mean, I suspect there was also something that happened you before. You think it was a history? I think that's very likely. People are very... I heard from a lot of people in the business who said that it's quite common. Oh, I, look. We, we, Still, I think that's we, an overreaction. Well, it's not if there were grounds. Now... We, we all heard from people who said this happens a great deal. The individual in question, I don't know if he'd done it before, but I, I think we all know that you, if you fire someone, you have to have grounds because if you fire someone without them, you're going to be in a huge amount of trouble. It wasn't a guy doing a good deed who was, who was interpreted incorrectly. It was a guy who initially was thought to be doing a good deed, was in fact breaking the law. He was lying. He was being unethical, immoral, and it was wrong. And so there are consequences for that. And I'm glad that more people are being photographed. You know, what does it mean? It means maybe the cops can't shoot black kids as often as they did in the United States. It means that people in this country can't be beaten up by the authorities and get away with it in the same way. So I have no problem with it. Peter, you have been in government. I mean, I guess it's kind of a scam, but it's also a scam that you walk into when you create the idea of paying a garbage removal company according to the weight of the garbage. Look, it's a scam to do that. It's a scam the way they used to collect blue boxes and gray boxes and green boxes and throw them all in the same bin. They don't do that anymore. It's a scam, I don't know if they do this anymore either, to be in the scrap metal business and overweight to the scale when you're getting paid for the, the brass that's separated from the aluminum. There's all kinds of things like that that happen. I don't know, and you don't know, the internal workings of that company, but I suspect that there's a record on this guy that goes beyond just having done this supposed good deed that maybe wasn't such a good deed, and they let him go for reasons that go beyond that. Mm. And, and that's the only conclusion I can draw. All right, then let's keep moving. Um, you guys mentioned the moment this week where um, a, a man with ALS, an MP with ALS, who always wanted to be the speaker but then lost his voice before he could even stand for the office. He was an honorary speaker this week. He entered the House in the Speaker's Parade with a tricorn hat and the robes with a walker. He spoke to the House through a tablet. 
I would like to thank you all, dear colleagues of this house, for the great privilege you have bestowed upon me to serve as honorary speaker of the House of Commons today. Thank you very much. Uh, I thought it was tremendously moving and perhaps a beautiful illustration of how the house can be used for good instead of evil. And Michael, I'll actually start with you because one of my favorite words was used by Thomas Mulcair. He said it was a moment of amazing grace. Hmm. It was. Um, there is a lot of pettiness in, in the House of Commons and uh, division and conflict for its own sake. And this, it, it's rather like when a politician dies and... One interpretation is, oh, suddenly he was a nice man when they were attacking him when he was alive. But you know what? There are times of great suffering, loss or death when humanity becomes more important than political ideology. And this was such a day, and I found it uh, to be deeply moving, actually. Peter, did you ever see moments like that in the uh, yeah. at Queen's Park? I have stood um, in silence or stood in applause with members of all parties in unanimity on issues or on remembrances or other occasions that uh, that made me remember, and this is something that's worth repeating, that all people who stand for political office, regardless of what party they come from, do so, and, and maybe there's one or two exceptions, but for the most part, do so because they believe that they bring something that they want to contribute, whether you agree with their way of contributing or not. And we have to respect that. When issues transcend political lines, and we stand uh, as one in unity and support something that's deserving of support, like Monsieur Belanger in the trial that he is undergoing now through no fault of his own, that's a good thing, and it's good for us to see it, and it brought a tear to my eye, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Yeah. Bill, it was a beautiful moment to watch. Oh, God, God if that didn't hit you in the heart, then, then you don't have one. Uh, <laughs> quite seriously, you know, to, to what Peter's saying, we often get really deeply involved and upset with uh, either elected or those who are trying to be elected uh, people and, and because of their views or whatnot, they're all human. And when we see that, uh, especially in this case, because, boy, there isn't anything more human than watching uh, what happened with the Monsieur Belanger. Uh, it, it, it just tugs at you. It, it, was a, it really was a deep moment. So the province apparently plans to basically anything that involves smoke, vapor, anything coming out of your mouth, but just uh, regular exhalation, that it's going to have all the same rules. So if you can't smoke, then you can't vape, you can't e-cigarette, you can't smoke medicinal pot. I know smokers and everybody else in this cohort considers themselves much put upon, but Peter, for me, it's a strict libertarian issue. If you want to do that, you got to do it where I ain't exposed to it. I agree. Uh, you know, uh, the Smoke-Free Ontario Act, I used to fight that. Go back way back when, when they were they were nibbling away. First, you couldn't smoke except in a particular corner of an allocated bar. Then you couldn't smoke unless they had ventilators. Then you couldn't smoke unless you were behind glass in a special room. Then you had to smoke outside. You know what? Then nine if smoking meters away. is so damn bad, then ban smoking altogether. It's illegal. Okay, you you love the tax, don't you? So they banned everything about smoking. I agree with this, however. If you're, if you're banning smoking of tobacco, ban smoking of everything except in designated places, and designated places right now seem to be outside. Uh, last uh, Friday, well, I think the centenary of the birth of Harold Wilson, the British Prime Minister, famous British Prime Minister, and it was iconic. He always smoked a pipe, and apparently he was at a cabinet meeting, and they took a vote on banning smoking, and the vote was overwhelmingly no smoking. He said, right, we decided no smoking, and then lit up his pipe and went on with the meeting. <laughs> but no, I do understand this, and I, and I approve of it, because even though uh, it may not be as, as damaging to one's health, some of the alternatives to smoking, it's, in, it's very powerful and all-consuming when people are vaping close to you, especially if you're having a meal. And 
it's not meant to be an alternative to smoking. It's meant to be a way of getting rid of the habit completely. So the, the rules are working now. And also, it'll be so hard to distinguish. What are you actually smoking there? Can we let you? Can we not? So, yeah, I, I agree with this. I think Peter was right. And I, I, I think we've already determined, and as a society we have, that smoking is bad for you. We do like the tax dollars. but uh, And there are issues with tobacco farmers and things like that that we have to figure out as well. But the fact of the matter is, Let's just go where we're going to go, anyways, mm. and ban smoking. It's got to. It, oh, it no. will happen. It will happen. You can't criminalize that many people. Well, <laughs> not like that. But I mean, if we're going to make it legal to smoke pot, just not in these places. But if it's legal to smoke pot, then we can't be banning cigarettes at the same time, can we? Oh, I think I. Uh, but I do think that we're we're going that way, John. I mean, think about it. I I remember Peter and I were talking about old radio days not that long ago. I can remember going through almost a pack of cigarettes every shift in a small a room smaller than this. Yeah, but and, how would you? How would you? How many police officers, how much of court time would be required if you would criminalize? I mean, you're serious about this? Well, I, I don't, I'm not saying criminalize it. I'm just saying ban you know, it. either that or well, that yeah, is criminalizing ban it. it. Well, no, it's not really. If it's not available, it, I, I do think that's where we're going, Michael. But it would, I think be a, it, it would be a, look, I can take you to lots of different places in this city, and, and certain people from certain parts of Ontario will come in with huge plastic bags full of cigarettes. You won't be able to ban it. You'll just take a lot of police time and a lot of court time. It, what, we did it with marijuana. Well, <laughs> that didn't work. Did no, of course, it. it didn't work. That well, was the same time. Time. Well, You know where it's going. It's going here. You can smoke in your house. Smoke anything you want. Not if house. it's a condo and yeah. it gets into the next. Exactly. Domain. That's a whole it's story, it's isn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's inevitable. We compromise. I mean, this, this absolutism. You the ban or no? We, there are compromises. People will smoke if they want to. I wish they didn't, but they did. But you can't do this. I mean, it, it's like the you know. Extremists say, you know, criminalize abortion. Oh, that's great. Yeah, criminalize hundreds of thousands of people and their but families. But we and... people to the point. Well, you, you mentioned Harold Wilson and, and, and pipes. When was the last time you saw someone smoking a pipe? Um, very seldom these oh, days. Seldom. I, 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 years ago, okay. my uncle used to smoke. And put that in your pipe and smoke <laughs> it. We're back right after this. You're listening to Viewpoints on In-Depth Radio. News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. Michael Corrin, Peter Sherman, and Bill Hayes mixing it up this week over all of the big issues that we mixed it up over on the roundtables on Moore in the Morning. My name is John Moore. Guys, let me introduce you to a fellow we spoke with on Friday. And it reminds me, uh, it's a favorite quote of mine that I think comes from uh, a Betty Davis movie, uh, All About Eve, where a man says, you have a point. It's a stupid one, but a point nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> this is a man in Red Deer, Alberta, who went to the license bureau. They said, we have to take a new picture. He said, fine. They said, take off your hat. He said, I don't want to take off my hat. He's wearing an Oilers baseball hat. They said, well, we can't take your picture. He said, then don't. They said, well, we can't give you your license. And now it's probably going to the Supreme Court of Canada. The reason why somebody puts something on their head to cover their head should not matter. If it's acceptable for one group of people to wear a headdressing, then it should be acceptable for anybody to wear a headdressing for whatever reason, as long as they're not obscuring their face. Now, I know we talked about this on Friday morning, and I'm trying to remember, you guys are more or less all of one mind, but uh, you think, just take the damn hat off. Get the pickle out, is what I would say. Why do you want to fight this? That's that's one side. The other side well, is, he's mad why does anybody care jobs. whether you have the damn hat on in a picture for a license? If, if what you're used to doing is walking around with a baseball hat on, it doesn't it make sense, not a passport, doesn't it make sense that that's how you look when a cop stops you and says, can I see your license and registration? So that's one. Number two, why do you want to be so obtuse, and that's what he is, that you want to take this all the way to the Supreme Court because some 
somebody else can wear a colander or somebody else can wear a kippah or somebody else can wear a turban as if those are all one and the same thing. Right. It's, it's a specious argument. It's taking up people's time, and it just doesn't bloody matter. Let's face it, though, 21 years after the debate over turbans and police forces and the armed forces, Michael, people are still ticked off about religious hats. Well, some people are. I, I bet this is the sort of guy who will complain about spending public money. And, of course, he's now about to spend a huge amount of, of public money. He, um, With all due respect to him, he sounds dumb. And <laughs> if he is stopped by the police... You don't really um, think that. <laughs> if he's stopped by the cops, he sh should have enough respect for the police and the uniform to remove his hat. Uh, but I'm sure he won't because he knows best, doesn't he? Uh, when it comes to religion, uh, Muslim men generally don't have any head covering. Uh, the, the, the yarmulke, the kippah, you, you can't even see it. It's not at the back of the head. Um, when it comes to Sikhs, for goodness sake, I mean, what really annoys me about this is they've been some of the most loyal um, soldiers of, of the Commonwealth, of the Empire, and they wanted to be in the police, to put their lives on the line, keeping law and order. And we said, you can't do that with a turban. Now, I do think there's an issue with the full covering of a woman, of a Muslim woman, those small number who do. But in this case, no, the, the, this is when what is thought to be a human right, the whole notion of it, is so abused to make it nonsensical. It is not a right to wear a cap for 30 seconds in front of a camera. Just take it off very briefly. His uh, license plate shouldn't have under the name McLovin. It should have I am moron. <laughs> All right. That's been quickly dispensed with then. Uh, Robert Turner, do we have some audio of Aaron Andrews testifying at her trial? Aaron Andrews, of course, is a personality on a sports network in the United States, also a co-host of Dancing with the Stars. A guy, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a complicated story, but I think this is why she won. A guy who was stalking her called the hotel that he figured she might be staying at at a convention or an event and said, is Aaron Andrews there? Okay, mistake number one, the hotel said yes. Then he said... I need to be in the room next to her. Now, he was pretending to be somebody who knew her, but surely the hotel has a duty of care. He used her peephole to film her nude in her hotel room. Here's just a bit of her on the stand talking about how devastating this has been for her. To Fox News and CBS, everybody put up that I was doing it for publicity and attention, and that ripped me apart. I'm so angry. This could have been stopped. The Nashville Marriott could have just called me and said, we are putting this man that requested to be next to you. Is this okay? And I would have called the cops and we would have gotten him. It could have stopped this. And I'm so angry. I'm so mad. Bill, she was suing for $75 million, some of it from the guy who's actually, you know, already been processed through the legal system, and some of it from the hotel. She was awarded 55. Does she deserve 55 million bucks? Well, she's not going to get $55 million. That's a big part of this. And this guy's evil, by the way, because he also he went so far as to say beforehand that I deserve all, it was all my fault, because he knows he doesn't have any money and she's not going to get any. So that's another part of this, I think. Um, one of the things I think is true of, of uh, cases like this in the United States is, um, and one of the reasons why they're looking for tort reform down there, is that so often the amounts of money that are given in these cases are way over the top. And $55 million for this, I think, is, is excessive. Uh, having said that, she's good. if she gets court costs, I'll be stunned. Uh-uh. The Marriott chain which, as John pointed out, had a duty of care, does have money. But the thing and is, th this is, a, uh, my understanding is, this is a standalone. This is not, uh, the, the Marriott part of this is not nearly as big as the the yeah. uh, the, the, the culpability but of still, the actual hotel. I would hotel. say whoever staffed that hotel, Peter, I agree with you entirely, 
um, has a duty of care to the people who are staying have there to protect them. Have you ever found a hotel? If, if you were phoning a hotel in Montreal where I was staying because we are going to go out and have a coffee, they wouldn't tell you that I was there. You could say, can I speak to Peter Sherman? They would look and, and connect you, and you'd yeah. hear a ring. And I'd either an answer or not. think, what's going on They're here. not going to tell you the room number. They're not going to tell you if I'm staying there. None of that stuff. So what were they doing giving out that information? Not not only giving out the information, but allowing this guy to have an adjacent room so he could take out the peepholes and put his camera up to it. There's something wrong with this picture. Is it worth $55 million? I don't know. The United States notoriously has ridiculous awards, financial awards for these kinds of things, and there will be some settlement. But there will be a settlement. She will be paid. And I don't think that any of those tears we heard were crocodile tears. She was legitimately hurt by this. I think so, too. Michael, I don't think you or I would want to be photographed nude in our hotel room. I, I, I mean, I would say to the person doing it, surely they've suffered enough in their life. Why would they want to film me <laughs> naked? But, but you'd take 55 am, mil to be photographed. I am, I am fairly, I said earlier, a pub lunch would do it. Uh, look, I, I'm a bit cynical or I'm sceptical when it comes to celebrities who cry. But in this case, I agree with you. I think this was genuine uh, because it wasn't just that. It was, as she said, people then said about, they accused her of playing it, of milking it for publicity. She spoke about her father seeing this, and I found that very moving. Uh, now, the hotel, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if they came forward and said, whatever's happened, we'd like to compensate you in some way and offer her an amount of money, but of course they might not do that because that'd be admitting guilt. It is incredible. I mean, she's not that famous, but she's a personality. She's known. It is incredible that somebody would say, after their training at reception, yes, she's here, and then give the room. Again, to say, is someone staying there? To contact that person, may I give your name out? So I'm not sure the details of who has been sued and who has been named. He has nothing, apparently. He can't pay her anything, this guy. Um, but she, she's suffered terribly, and there is a humiliation factor, and it's not going to do her career. I mean, her career, she'll be okay, but it's not going to improve her career in any way. And how do you put a, a financial statement on this? I don't know. She certainly deserves a sizable amount of money. It would not be an addition of viewpoints if we didn't talk about the phenomenon known as Donald Trump. This week in Florida, Trump and uh, Rubio, in this exchange you're going to hear, tangled over the idea of the Trump has asserted, where he says Islam itself hates America. What I want you to listen for here, though, is not whether Trump is crazy, but whether Trump actually scores the better points. I know that a lot of people find appeal in the things Donald says because he says what people wish they could say. The problem is presidents can't just say anything they want. It has consequences here and around the world. There is tremendous hatred. The question was asked, what do you think? I said, there is hatred. Now, it would be very easy for me to say something differently, and everybody would say, oh, isn't that wonderful? Mr. Trump, we better, We better solve the problem before it's too late. When you are saying that Islam is scary and Islamic terror is scary, I think you're hitting a far more resonant chord in the average American voter than if you're trying to make squishy points about the fact that not all terrorists are, are Islam. That's why Trump is being as successful as he is. And frankly, having looked at the entire debate last night, um, when, we, when we watched uh, this unfold, the... Uh, the debate, the tenor of the debate was, uh, it was a debate. It was almost it presidential. Was, it was the first debate I had seen in what 
have been termed debates for the last six months. And, and that exchange was quite typical of it. So you had Marco Rubio, who, if he'd maintained that level, would probably be a contender today because I think his argument was logical. Uh, and you have Donald Trump saying something that, as Marco Rubio pointed out, a lot of people feel. Can you say that uh, an entire religion hates an entire country? I don't think that's what was being said. I think that there's an Islamic um, attitude that seems not quite pervasive, but pretty broad, that doesn't like the society that is represented by the United States. And I think I, I could say honestly that I agree with that. Well, then you're, in, in, with all due respect, incredibly ill-informed. First of oh, all... thank you. Well, I'm, I'm, I can sit here and... Um, look, what you've just said is, is significant, Peter. We're speaking about more than a billion people. First of all, Islam, is a, Islam doesn't hate. I mean, Islam is a religion. It's like saying Christianity, Judaism. If you mean do all Muslims, we're speaking of Indonesian... Uh, Indonesian I and, didn't uh, say that, though, if, Michael, if, if and I, neither did no, he. if I may. Indonesia, uh, Nigeria... Uh, Syria. I mean, so many diverse and disparate countries, Pakistan. American foreign policy has been indifferent, if not cruel, towards much of the Islamic world. Look, let's be quite honest here. For the longest time, Israel could do whatever it wanted. And the Americans said, good idea. Uh, Arabs could be treated terribly. And America said, we don't really care. Now things are slightly different. There are 5,000 American Muslims fighting for the American armed forces, putting their lives on the line. There are millions and millions of Muslims throughout the world who love the United States. There are Muslims in all sorts of countries who are in intelligence services working for the United States. I can tell you without being too, giving it too much away that if it wasn't for the intelligence services of Jordan and Saudi Arabia, attacks would have happened in the United States. No, it was crass, it was ill-informed, and it played into the hands of the fanatics within Islam who do detest the United States. I have no okay. argument with anything that you've said on that, uh, save to say that you're talking about um, a religion as a whole and all of the, th the good things that come out of it. No. And there are plenty of good Let's things forget. that come out of it. But we're talking here about a tension that exists between two fairly diametrically nope. opposed societies. Well, That's okay. what and he's vocalizing. Time, so Bill okay. But one of, the, one of the last things, one, the things that I think Trump has really hit on it isn't necessarily just the, the fight against Islam. There's also this Main Street versus Wall Street thing. The, 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 the interesting thing to me with Donald Trump is we have been late to the party here. We have been looking at him as some kind of a clown show. And in actual fact, things like this that he says are very much a, a part of, uh, of what people are saying in a lot of places in the States. So to your point, might be ignorant, but it is what the they're people, saying. The people who, who beat up black and Hispanic people who are at the protest, who punch black women and push I'm them on the floor. I'm not defending them. I'm just huh? saying they're there. That's the thing. It ain't pretty, but we treat it like the tumor. Maybe it's the pulse. Mm -hmm. uh, my thanks to Michael Corrin, Peter Sherman, and Bill Hayes. Thanks also to those who toil behind the scenes, Becky Coles and Robert Turner. My name's John Moore, and I hope we'll talk again soon.